0: Welcome to Paddling the Blue. With each episode, we talk with guests from the Great Lakes and around the globe who are doing cool things related to sea kayaking. I'm your host, my name is John Chase, and let's get started Paddling the Blue. Welcome to today's episode of Paddling the Blue. Today I will be talking with Steve Ramsey, and Steve was referred to the show by Cyril Deramo. And Cyril and Steve met when they were both paddling the Yukon River Quest. Now, the Yukon River Quest is one of the most iconic paddle races on the North American continent, and you are about to hear about it today. So enjoy today's episode with Steve Ramsey. Hi, Steve. Welcome to Paddling the Blue. Hey,
1: John. Thanks for having me here today.
0: I appreciate it. You were referred to me by Cyril Deramo.
1: Yeah, it was uh, It was very nice of Cyril. I, I listened to that episode, and Cyril's been a good friend of mine for a long time and somebody that I really look up to. And appreciate very much, and uh, yeah, I thought it was quite nice of him to say the words that he did about me and, and connecting us together, and uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to spending some time with you, too. Yeah,
0: you've been an inspiration to him, and I'm certain you'll be an inspiration to our listeners here as well. So uh, we'll talk a little bit about how you met uh, a little later, but tell us about you as a paddler first.
1: I don't really think of myself as a, as a paddler first, but it, it is a sport or a activity that I just love being a part of. I think what happened for myself, or I guess I do know what happened, was that as a very young person, uh, I grew up in a a town in northern Manitoba uh, named Flin Flon. And when I was a young boy there, there was a a race called the Gold Rush Canoe Derby that was somewhat famous. I guess uh, if if people are following the sport at all now, they might be aware of the Triple Crown, the the race in Quebec and the race in Michigan and then the Clinton race in New York as well. But the the race in Flin Flon was you know, likely not far off of that caliber, and it attracted some of the best paddlers in the world. And I happened to know some of the local people that participated. There were some men there that were extremely competitive, and I really looked up to them. And so I guess in my early years, I spent a lot of time every year watching the race. I was always excited to see the the racers come to town, and I was maybe a bit of a super fan as a 8, nine, ten year old boy. And I think I was influenced a lot, too, by, in 1967, it was Canada Centennial, and there was a cross-Canada race, and each province and a territory entered a team in the Voyageur class, and the Manitoba team was represented primarily from, from man from, from my hometown and the area just very nearby, and uh, they won the race, and, and so I would have only been a five-year-old boy at that time, but they're, you know, they were local heroes for a long time, and, and I followed some of their paddling careers after that, and I think they inspired me a lot and piqued my interest in, in the marathon paddling community or the racing part of it. And then, you know, when I could, I started to jump in canoes at every chance I got, and um, I just I just absolutely loved it, whether it was going tripping or canoeing just for fishing purposes or camping or, or exercise, and then finally you know played around with a bit of racing and I guess uh, over the years I stayed as active in the sport as I could and tended to always own a canoe and then after I guess my wife and I had been married for a while and I did notice like my wife Carla was uh, it it seemed to come quite easy to her and then in 2011 we just committed to doing a long long race and that was um, the Yukon River Quest And we went and we had some success with it. It went well and and, uh, it led to several more races. And I guess another thing I could add too, John, is like at a young age, I was 16, maybe 17, but a group of eight of us from our hometown, we did a bit of an adventure where we took four canoes and carried them all the way out to Edmonton, Alberta, and paddled pretty much back home to a place called the paw manitoba and that was a i think probably around close to 700 miles which was quite an adventure for some young guys And, and and again i look back and i think i just loved every minute of that experience and it probably kept me keen on on being a paddler to this point for sure
0: that's that's pretty cool and so so that led you to the yukon river quest is that right
1: yeah, Carla and I were were uh, about to celebrate a twenty fifth wedding anniversary. I was going to be turning fifty years old, and and even though we were somewhat active, we hadn't been. I, I think probably our conditioning and our health wasn't where it needed to be. So we just said, well, let's let's do something that'll be fun and epic, and really encourage us to to put a focus on fitness. And so we trained for a year and or close to a year, and we had a canoe that was a good canoe but not the best for that type of race but we thought well it's our boat we'll take it anyway and um away we went and that was our first time doing a any kind of a long distance adventure type of race and you know they're they're always difficult and that certainly was but we really we were proud of how it went for us and and the whole community the experience everything about it was I think a win and uh, I think I came to the conclusion maybe a little quicker than Carla that it would be a good idea to go back with another canoe and (laughs) the following year and take another stab at it and and we we went back in 2013 and we felt like we'd learned so much and people were very um gracious and helpful and and supportive of us so you know when we went back we felt much more prepared and and trained up better and we ended up that year we did win the mixed class and and we I think we hung in there with all but a couple of the men's teams so it was it was it was really re- rewarding for us you know we put a lot of effort in and and it went well so it's really become a, a so much a regular part of our lives now and even you know we're hoping today even just get an hour on the water and just the exercise and the time together and We do like the tandem kind of paddling, right? So just a lot of enjoyment. But yeah, 2012 was the first year. Back in 2013, I did it in a C4 with uh, another couple from Ontario and a a friend of mine. We're in a a C4 in 2015. And then if I remember right, I think 2017, maybe 2019, Carla and I back again in the tandem boat. And then this year, just raced again with five Good friends of mine, we we did uh, for the first time. We entered in the Voyager class and did it the six-person race. So, yeah, that was that was another experience and a lot of fun as well.
0: Your first introduction to long-distance racing was basically a twenty-fifth anniversary to yourselves. That's yeah, that's correct. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah. So, how do you go from racing it in twenty twelve to then winning it in twenty thirteen? What led up to that?
1: Well, certainly made a difference with with just what we learned from the first year as far as the the boat and staying in that fast water and what it takes to be successful like mentally and and physically. I don't like I'm not a very big strong guy that's for sure but I seem to be able to go fairly long and, and Carla definitely is capable of paddling for long stretches so best way to sum it up is we trained and prepared very deliberately and with a lot of focus and Maybe some people with perhaps a military background or even in the business world, you you often hear about like an after-action review where, you know, we'd look at a solid plan for our training session and, you know, we'd say like what was planned and what actually happened and what would we do the same and what would we do differently. And we'd have those conversations maybe somewhat informally, but whenever we were hitting the gym or particularly getting on the water, we would think very specifically about, what we're trying to do and i i think that made a big difference for us and we also have a um, friend of ours is very well known in the paddling community he's a close friend named solomon carrier and Saul has been extremely helpful to both carl and i and and he taught us a lot about just the timing aspects of it and a lot of good hints and insights into long distance paddling and there's also some very, very good paddlers that are in Regina and Saskatoon who've been just fantastic to us and given us a lot of advice and, and support as well. So I think we just really pulled it all together and we showed up ready. And um, I think we got a little bit of a surprise, like we were a little quicker than maybe we thought we would be. And uh, the weather was hot and, and for some reason we seemed to hold up better than maybe some of the other teams. And it just, it worked out in our favor. So
0: with endurance athletes, I mean, that's, that's often one of the, the big pieces is you don't have to be the strongest person, but that art of suffering <laughs> is a, is a big
1: piece. Yeah, that's exactly right. <laughs> and, you know, something that Carl and I would say to each other is like, you know, we're, we're suffering here, but so is everybody else. Right. So
0: just maybe mentally that helped us out a little bit. Yeah. So that deliberate practice, that deliberate thought. The learning from your experiences and the using the knowledge of others were kind of the keys. Absolutely. Give our listeners an idea of what the Yukon River Quest race
1: is all about. It's a special place. I think I could start with that. Having the chance to go there and see that part of Canada, that part of the world is really amazing. It's, it's spectacular scenery, the wonderful people. You have everything in the race from people that are, you know, just their goal is just to somehow make it to the finish line, of course, and then there's the others that are, are competitive and, and pretty skilled. But the event is, it's a big water event. Like, it's a, it's a major river. There's tends to be pretty strong current. It challenges, I think, your ability to, to read that water and stay in the fastest water. I, I would think that most people it would be it would be very rare that you were in contact with a boat for the entire race because you know it's maybe if you're if you're really fast around 40 42 43 hours on the water I think most people are looking around the 50 plus mark but you do spend a lot of time hung out and and you have to be I guess you know you just dig in and go but there's so much beauty around that you have to just be aware of that and, and soak it in and enjoy it as well opportunities to see bear moose we've seen lynx on the water when you know just on the shoreline beside there's a lot of things if you're attentive that you can pick up on a lot of very high cliffs as well and you know just spectacular scenery and I think that anybody going there should uh, my advice would be is like, you know, show up and it, it's a race. You want to do your best race-wise, but really enjoy the experience and, and, and the beauty and the, and the nature that's there because it's so special. And it's, it's really unique. And I don't know that uh, everybody gets a chance to see something like that. So I'd encourage even a chance to, to drive around a little bit, take a few extra days because it's, it's a very special part of
0: the world. So when you say uh, big big water, big river, you know that means something different to everybody. So give a description of the river itself. How much water and how wide and that sort of thing are we looking at? Yeah, so the river is, I could maybe just kind of staged out a little
1: bit because it, it does change. But the start from Whitehorse, I think most teams could expect that they would be on the river for three hours before hitting Lake LaBarge. So the river is, you know, I, I'm going to say it's, three quarters of a kilometer, half a kilometer, three quarters of a kilometer, so maybe, I don't know, maybe a quarter to a half mile wide for the first few hours would would be about normal. Fairly easy to navigate, not a lot of decisions to make really, maybe a couple islands that you would pick a path through, but fairly basic. And the current there is, uh, I guess in terms of miles per hour, like maybe it's a five or six mile an hour would be an average somewhere in there. And then after a few hours, you do hit Lake LaBarge, which is, in my opinion, and I think most would agree, is that's where things can go sideways for, for people. It's a, it's a big, big body of water. So it's, it's around 31 miles in length. I'm sure it can be at least a few miles wide at points. So there's a lot of risk with wind And, you know, I've gone across it on calm years that were... It was dead flat and hot, and I've gone across it in five- and six-foot waves. But that is one that, you know, you got to be sure that you're comfortable on that kind of water and pick a good line close to that east shore is... Like, the rules will require you to do that. But, you know, I think sometimes people get a little bit too close to shore, and there's some disturbed water that can cause you a bit of grief. And then as you leave the lake, John, you get to a very beautiful section that's narrow. Lots of it's just a, a, a couple hundred yards wide for a few hours following the lake. But it's it's windy and it's riffly and it's, you know, you're, you, it's it's quick. You're starting to get into faster water. And you blast through there pretty good. And it's evening time. By then, it's cooling off and it gets a bit dusky. And it's just a beautiful, fun place to be. As the river continues on, it's gathering speed from multiple rivers that are the confluences. You know, there other rivers are feeding it. And it just keeps getting quicker and quicker. And then into it, I guess most teams would be around the 24, 26, 27 hour mark would get to the first mandatory stop, which is called CarMax. And coming into the dock there, you're fatigued and the water's moving along pretty good. It's, it's, it could be maybe a seven or eight mile an hour push, I would think, from the current. Wow. Yeah, so, um, and that's a mandatory rest. You take a little time there, and away you go. And, and the river just kind of continues on the rest of the way to Dawson City, to me getting a bit larger, a little bit faster, and a bit more confusing because of multiple islands and different opportunities, I guess, to, to cut corners or stay in the current. You know, you got to make some decisions on that. I know there's one or two spots where paddlers sometimes get off the river and there's some confusion with that, but the race committee there, they do a really good job of sharing before the race on what you're looking for. And, and I think now too, with most people having GPS capabilities or tracks, they those problems seem to be disappearing, but, you know, wind is can play against you too. You have to make some decisions with, if you're into a big headwind, you know, should you stay out more in the center of the river and, and ride that current or... Is it a better idea to move in a little closer to shore and try and avoid the wind? I don't know. It's probably a lot of debate around that. My my thinking is always just I just look at the GPS and <laughs> see what the speed is because it you can really make a bad call if, if you're just out in the middle of that river because it seems painfully slow. But if you are watching your GPS speed, you can see that I think most times it's, it's worth being out there, but it is exhausting as well with... Uh, with heavy winds, and you know, and there could be wind, rain. In fact, I don't know if you can go through that race without dealing with some kind of adverse weather at some point.
0: So, what kind of distance are you covering over that 50 plus hours?
1: Yeah, so the race is thinking miles, it's I believe it's 444 miles. All right, so. Yeah, so the the first stop at at Carmax is, I believe you're getting close to half the distance. But of course, your average speed is a fair bit lower by then because you're starting off with some slower current, and then the time on the lake. You know, I, I think if you're probably going across that lake, if if you can average close to six miles an hour, you're you're having a pretty good run. So, so that's a five or six hour slog across there.
0: Yeah, it's a it's a pretty good haul over 31 miles, I think you said, or 50k mm-hmm. something to that effect.
1: Yes, yeah,
0: and I hear there's a uh, a rapid section that has some, some infamy to it. <laughs> yeah, it's
1: almost hard for me to talk about that part right <laughs> now. We uh, <laughs> I've been through those rapids maybe six or seven times, and this year with uh, my five buddies and in, in the uh, Voyager canoe, we we flipped it over. Oh, um, yeah, it was uh, it set us back a fair bit, but yeah, it's called Five Finger Rapids, and everybody is told beforehand, of course, like you, you're staying river right as you're entering the rapids because there is as the name implies the the fingers or the different entries into it you just want to make sure you're on the path on the right and it's such a difference from year to year generally speaking it's it's similar but uh, but definitely there's some changes and I think about different years and and usually going through with a tandem canoe it was always a maybe not my forte I I, I feel like I always had a fairly bumpy ride but Never really felt like we were going to be upside down going through. There's a fairly large standing wave. There's a bit of a haystack at one point. And the advice that I was was given was, you know, you just line up so that you're slightly left of that, and that path has worked for me each time, uh, except this year. <laughs> I, I guess the advice would be to everybody is, is uh, you know, talk to some of the locals, uh, get a good understanding of of what you're going into, and I think for most people. Most years, it's an exciting 15 or 20 seconds and not much more than that. This year, though, was, I think, several... We got we got caught off guard. I think uh, every seventh boat hitting that rapid this year flipped in wow. the race, and that's a pretty high number. Yeah, unfortunately, we were one of them, so we had a cold swim. Yeah. How many boats are usually entered in the race? I think on start day, a normal number would be about 80 boats at the start line. And this year... If I'm not mistaken, I, I think that they were right around the 100, 100 boats. And, and it's an interesting race in that aspect, too, because there is um, the Voyager class, and there's a C4 class now. I guess it has been since that, I think maybe that year I was in the C4. It might have been the first year. You know, they've had uh, five or six of those races where the C4s were a part of it. Most of the entries are C2, the, the tandem canoes. And it does attract a lot of solo kayakers. And there's also the tandem kayaks. And amazingly, there's this is kind of shocking to me, but there's um, some really tremendous stand up paddleboard people that show up and they do well. They I, I don't know how, like I'm, I'm intrigued by it, but, but they do. And uh, they, they gain a lot of respect from most of the other paddlers, myself included. Oh, definitely. And uh, so, yeah, so they they have just incredible endurance and skills and, and they navigate their way through it and they, they do fantastic. But yeah, multiple boats, all different styles. Um, the overall winners, we've seen C2s win. Tandem Kayak, I believe, is one. The Voyager canoes maybe have the most wins. It'd be close between that and the C2s. Uh, this year, we, we, uh, we were second this year. C4 uh, won a really solid team and they were fast and... I guess, you know, they, they deserved it and they, they were a, a really good boat and they did well.
0: So I think, uh, if I'm not mistaken, you've done the race as a two person canoe, a two person kayak and, a... uh, no,
1: I, I, I didn't do it as a kayaker, okay. John, just a two person canoe, four person canoe, and then the 6 person this year, the, the Voyager class. Okay. All right. Yeah. But, but a few times in C2. All
0: right. So which was your favorite uh, configuration and why?
1: I think I really enjoyed them all for different reasons, but Carla and I did the C2 three times together, and I still enjoy that the most. We paddle well together, we enjoy our time on the water together, but I think though I've I've always enjoyed a C2 more than any other boat I've ever been in. And I do paddle a a solo canoe with some frequency, but the C2 to me is, it's just, um, I love being in the stern and trying to match up with a with a good bow paddler and you know the the focus on the glide and the smoothness and the teamwork is i really really like that the voyager team this year like we had some really great paddlers like i I was fortunate i was they just pulled me along i I got in the back and away (laughs) we went and they're um you know some really strong good paddlers there and we enjoyed each other and and you know it was a good race for uh, for us other than the you know, the Rapids, and, you know, we suffered for a few reasons after that, right? But another, like, it was still a great experience, and I think, though, you know, if I was, I don't know that I'll ever race there again, but if I was, it would probably be in a, a C2 again. Just, uh, it's just a favorite of mine, and I've we've done, uh I did a C4 at the Missouri race, that 340-mile race there, mm-hmm. and I guess... I I know several other races too, with uh, uh, mostly with the C two, and and again, it's just it's just always been my favorite.
0: Do you experience the local communities at all during the race?
1: The race, like I guess I could refer to the the Yukon race first, and people there, like it's it's such a wonderful community in in Whitehorse and the folks around in that area and into Dawson, and it's very welcoming. What I've found over the years is, I believe you know, I made lifelong friends some are residents of of the Yukon territory and others are paddlers that we've met you know being there right and it's it's very welcoming and a supportive group but i find that i think probably everywhere we've been with with the marathon racing and there's a town in uh, northern Manitoba called the Paw and it's not far like I mentioned Flin Flon earlier where the Gold Rush Canoe Derby was and unfortunately that race is no longer there but in the Paw they have a race there that's staged it's just a couple hours each day over three days and again it's just a lot of fun and a great community and I look forward probably as much to just getting back with the other paddlers each time we make a trip to those places as as much as the racing actually yeah just really Good events and and lots of fun and and a good sense of community.
0: The race itself has a pretty solid organization to it. Does it feel remote? Well,
1: I think for some of the people coming there, it must. My guess would be is that it would feel extremely remote. Maybe because of where I was raised, it's. You know, I I was in a fairly remote place for a lot of my life, and it might be a bit of an easier adjustment, but. I can honestly say, though, that when you're on the water and out there and you do get that stretch of five hours or 40 hours where you're by yourself or the only boat and, and you know, with really no contact, uh, there's times out there where you look and say, man, like, it's... I'm I'm in the middle of nowhere here. Like, it does feel... It's, it's big. Everything around you is big, and it, yeah, it could be a lonely place, and I think that's why you have to just enjoy the beauty of it and you know, not, don't be afraid of it. Just soak it in, take it in and, and just paddle the best you can. But I I would think a lot of people would be challenged somewhat coming from different environments into that. And I think you have to be prepared for it. You know, it is a wilderness experience and it's true wilderness there. And, and I I guess it
0: could cause challenges to some people. So I guess that's kind of what I was going for is, you know, they have a pretty solid organization behind the race you've got checkpoints along the way and mm-hmm. it doesn't feel like they've engineered the f- the adventure out of the race oh
1: that's exactly right John I guess as as an adventure racer or people that enter these events is, as you know is uh, there's inherent risk and but there's a very very good safety meeting beforehand and it's requested like that it's compulsory and mandated really that the the paddlers participate, and not just the paddlers, but there's a separate meeting that they have for the support people, which I think is really important, and and they participate in it too. And it's laid out very well about you know what we're doing and where we're going, and and respecting the waters and and nature and the uh, indigenous lands that that we're paddling through. And there's the risks are explained, you know, whether it's the the lake or. Drinking the water, you know, you have to make decisions on whether you're filtering or carrying or whatever you're doing with your water. Food intake, you know, the sun aspects of it, the heat, the cold, hypothermia is definitely a risk. So it's it's laid out there, and we're carrying spot locators or some type of a beacon. I guess there's other options now as well. But we are carrying a beacon with us, so it's it's tracked. But I would have to think that if something went terribly wrong, it, it would be... I, huge challenge and you, I think you'd have to be quite fortunate to have a safety boat or somebody uh, quickly on the scene. So, you know, at the end of the day, I think you, you best be prepared to be on your own for at least 24 hours no matter what's happened. And that's really explained and I, I would think that everybody would, you know, have a real clear understanding of that and prepare for that before they do uh, take off at that start line.
0: Is there any particular type of training or qualifications that uh, the race organization requires that racers bring to the event?
1: So in the solo, solo classes, there is, John. And I don't know exactly what the criteria is, but they do ask that you you know share your resume and give them an understanding and at least a level of confidence that you are capable of, of managing that type of a race. So the people in the stand-up paddle boards and solo canoes, I think they, they'd look at those people closest, and then also I guess the, the solo kayakers as well. Uh, it seems that once you start to get into tandem boats and all, it uh, they, they uh, maybe back off a little bit on what they're looking for. I don't know if anybody's been told they can't race in it, but I do know that as uh, the solo paddlers have said, that they, they do have to answer some questions, and, and I guess give the committee there a level of confidence that they're capable of making it to that
0: finish line. You mentioned wildlife experiences earlier, and uh, you mentioned bear and lynx and and others. Mm-hmm. Tell us about some of the uh, the wildlife experiences you've had along the way. It's kind of two-part to me is the drive. I almost feel sorry for some of the
1: people that are coming from places where they have to fly into Whitehorse because the drive through British Columbia and into Yukon is, is absolutely amazing. And so On the trip up, I think I've driven it each time, and always saw lots of wildlife on the trip. And kind of a favorite thing for me is to drive through the night because it's not that dark. It just gets dusky. And that's really the best time to see wildlife. And I believe one evening, if I remember right, it was well over 30 moose we saw in, in just one night. Once you get there, though, and on the water, it's restricted a bit in a sense because of the, a lot of high banks where it's beautiful scenery, but less chance to see wildlife. But I think if, if you're attentive paddling down that river, you absolutely will see. And um, we've seen black bears, moose, lynx. Did that river a couple of times with a friend of mine and uh, just sort of practicing. I, I was working up at a gold mine there last season. In uh, near Dawson City uh, a couple of years back, and and so we did the the river my friend Crispin and I a couple of times, and uh, he's got quite a keen eye and seems to spot the wildlife before I do. We had some great experiences and and saw a, an incredible bull moose. It was hard to forget what that image looked like. And you know, we come around a corner. Uh, we took a little shortcut, and it was a, a skinny bit of water. Come around the corner, and a bull moose was was swimming in front of us, and had a massive. Horns, and uh, we ended up like a a lot closer to it than probably would have wanted to be, (laughs) and uh, we backed off a bit, and it it ended up uh, getting up and heading up onto the shore, and it was really muddy there. And as it come out of the water, it was you know soaking wet, and it was just you know maybe at that time we're 25 feet from it or something like that. It was just a magnificent animal, and uh, seeing it with all that water pouring off, and the uh, the color of it was. Incredible in the size of its horns, and uh, it struggled a bit to get out because of the mud, and so we 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 backed off more, and it slid into the water and and uh, swam in front of us a bit more, and and then finally found a good place to get out. You know, that's a sight that you know it's it's kind of seared there, and I just I was so fortunate to be able to see that. Another thing I tell you was a we we joked about it like uh, Crispin can be, he's got a good sense of humor, and we had some laughs, but. uh, we did a race that was we were asked to camp i think we left from carmax to to dawson city so it might be i don't know that's got to be 250 miles or something but anyway um we had to be off the water at midnight or whatever the time was and i think off the water for six hours and then ready to go again so our idea was to uh to stay on an island. Life up here, you know, you, you learn that staying on an island is usually your best idea because less chance of bears. As we were paddling along, we were saying, well, let's start paying attention to what, Oh, it's getting close to the time we're going to get off the water. Let's start looking close at these islands and see and kind of get a pattern going and thinking about where we should get off. And we both agreed that not much chance of having a bear on one of these islands, so so that's what we'll do. And we hadn't, maybe two minutes after that discussion, we went by an island, and there was a, a log hanging out over top of the water. And as we were paddling, we had a good laugh because there was a black bear wrapped around that log <laughs> looking down into the water. I think it was fishing. And uh, and we went zooming by, and the bear looked at us like, like, I don't know what these guys are doing, but we went shooting by, and we, we were laughing, saying, well... One thing about an island, there's never a bear on it, right? And a little <laughs> chuckle. So when we did finally stop, it was more of a gravel bar, and we could see the whole thing, and we knew there was no bears to
0: be concerned about. Certainly with, uh, with long-distance racing, mental preparation and mental kind of toughness is a, is a big piece of this. What do you do for physical training? For
1: physical training, like, I, I do have a Concept 2 rower that I, I really believe has been a, a tremendous tool for training for myself and my wife. And we do a f- fair bit of time on it. Also, too, is because of the climate that we're in, in the winter months, paddling is extremely rare. We do get what's called a Chinook wind here every now and then so we can get on the water in the winter. But we sure don't count on that or, or make that a part of our training plan. Snowshoeing is a great way to train. And I think for endurance, it's it's you don't have to go hard. It's just long walks in deep snow with the snowshoes on is i'm I'm a believer in that it's good for your core it's good for your balance builds endurance and it, and i think some mental toughness too because you know you can go on some pretty cold days and you just fight through it a lot of the best marathon paddlers in this part of the world would be also very good cross-country skiers i think that the cardio uh, and the workout that you get from cross-country skiing translates extremely well my wife and i and like, I guess I could speak more for myself. I'm not the best at cross-country skiing. So I go as a, it's just, it's exercise to me and try and make the best of it. And then as far as like, like more maybe gym related, I think over the last while, I think like farmer's walks, you know, carrying heavy stuff is a really good idea it's good for your grip strength it's good for your core good for your balance and also it's it's not fun it's a bit grueling right i tend to um, you know i'll grab a trap bar with a bit of weight on it and go for a walk around the property you know maybe a half a mile and far enough that i've got to set it down a few times and shake it off a little i think that's a good way to train and also i'm I'm not a very good runner I, i don't really enjoy jogging or running but i think i can get my cardio through the use of the concept two rower and also i like uh, a jump rope i'll I'll skip fairly hard for that a little bit more intensity but honestly as i get older though john i'm finding i'm spending a lot more time training at a slower pace with you know a little uh, some of the intensities coming out and i don't think it's bothering me like um or, or affecting me in fact i would argue it's it's helping sometimes a backpack with some weight, just go for a good brisk walk. I think that those kinds of things translate well for myself. And I think that's probably why the snowshoeing and and the farmer's walks are, are good as well. I don't have to be huffing and puffing too hard. Just try and stretch it out a while and get my heart rate up in that, I don't know, around the 120 to 130 point, I guess.
0: So what tips might you have for dealing with the mental aspect of long distance racing?
1: So it's all my life I've been a fan of doing hard things and challenging myself. Uh, I'm not sure why that is, but I think coming to the the understanding before you go into a race is, is if you structure the training well and you see and you can measure progress, that's a big part of it because you can go into the race with confidence because you know you're capable. And, you know, maybe before the race you do one hard six or seven hour paddle or something just to you know, say like, I just crossed La Barge, I can do this. And, you know, you check that box, right? But you want to be fit, and you want to have the understanding that it is difficult, it is a challenge. And, you know, get the foods that you need, however you're going to hydrate, you got to test it and know. And when you do know, I think that helps the mental part of it a lot. And then break up the race into smaller pieces and almost celebrate, you know, it's like, we cross the lake, let's have a couple of fig newtons or something, you know, and and it, that's that's a part of the race that's over, and you did it, and then just put a focus on the next part, and, and break it up, and and you know this year I think uh, I told the guys like you know there's there's a couple of stops, it's it's three different races, it can be hard on you mentally if you're thinking about that ultimate finish line. I I, I would strongly advise that you break it up a bit, and also supporting each other you know, some communication in the boat. If you're not a solo racer, encouraging each other and letting people know that if you're down a bit, it's okay. You're going to bounce back and and you can support each other that way. And like I said before, I think the understanding is that it hurts for everybody. If you're feeling a bit of soreness, a bit of pain, like it's not unique to you, everybody is. And, uh, you know, it's, it might be a reminder that your posture is not right or your form's not right. And just get it back together and keep on going
0: so how do you apply the things you learn from racing to everyday life
1: well that's a really good question there i think that it's really just determining that you're going to succeed you know it's um when i graduated from high school they asked for a quote in the yearbook you know i'm pretty sure it went um for myself i put down you know the the surest way not to fail is to determine to succeed and i don't know maybe it sounds a little simple but i think that when you've had some success and in 2012, when Carla and I did the race the first time, you know, she said, "Like I, I don't think we'll ever be the same. Like we're we're different now. We've pushed ourselves pretty hard." And I think with everyday life, it's it's like I can do this. There's a confidence that comes from it, and and I find that in the paddling community, the people that do these things, and maybe met others that are can you know do bike racing or running any type of a marathon the people that are good at it they seem to translate that well and into everyday life and i think it's just a pattern of success and and believing that you know you're going to face obstacles so what just think about it and and work your way through it and you're going to get there and i think that maybe my day-to-day life i just sounds rather simple but it's maybe a headstrong thing too right just keep on pushing forward and and you will get there
0: Steve, how can listeners reach you if they've got additional questions or just want to learn more about the race?
1: I don't really have a social media presence, but something I I would say is that if I can help in any way with people that are going to, uh, are thinking about going to a race like the Yukon River Quest or have an interest in marathon paddling, whatever it might be, is to, you can drop me an email. It's uh, steve at 12degrees.ca. And 12 degrees, it's, it's, spelled out like T-W-E-L-V-E degrees dot C-A and um, yeah, just reach out through the email, uh, that uh, email address and I'd, I'd love to, if there's anything I can offer support or help, I'd, I'd be more than happy to do it.
0: All right, I will be sure to put that in the show notes so people can uh, can follow up if they've got additional questions. So Steve, it's been wonderful learning from you today and, uh, and having you share your experiences with the Yukon River Quest and uh, and what led you up to the Yukon River Quest. Uh, personally, I found the the mental and the physical training parts of it fascinating and, and as well as all of it. So thank you very much for your time. Oh, thank you very much. Sure. So I've got one last question for you, Steve, and that is, who else would you like to hear as a future guest on Paddling the Blue?
1: Oh, that's, uh, that was I think, easy for me. I, I have a uh... There's a, a lady, her name is Esther Wheeler, and uh, I met Esther, uh, I guess we started to communicate in 2011. She was in the United Kingdom preparing for her first Yukon River Quest at that time with, it, it, with another lady. They were in the tandem division, and we met at the 2012 race, and she's been a friend of ours since then and comes and visits and trains a bit with us and paddles, and, and uh, we just share time together. But she lives in Australia now. Work took her there, so Esther does a lot of, uh, I think, dragon boating and outrigger canoe paddling, and and she's a really fantastic marathon paddler. And I think that people can learn a lot about mental toughness from Esther. That's for sure. So I think it'd be great. She'd be a wonderful person to talk to.
0: Super. Well, I will connect uh, connect with you offline, collect her uh, contact information, and we will uh, work on getting Esther on the show. So again, Steve, thank great. you very much for your time. I really appreciate. Uh, learning from you and uh, sharing your story with our guests
1: oh thanks again john i appreciate it
0: if you want to be a stronger and more efficient paddler power to the paddle is packed with fitness guidance and complete descriptions along with photos of more than 50 exercises to improve your abilities and enjoy your time on the water the concept and exercises in this book have helped me become a better paddler and they can make a difference for you too The exercises in the book can help you reduce tension in your shoulders and low back, use the power of your torso to create leverage and use less energy with each stroke, use force generated from your lower body to make your paddling strokes more efficient, have the endurance to handle long days in the boat, drive through the toughest waves or whitewater, protect your body against common paddling injuries, and while you're at it, you might even lose a few pounds, and who wouldn't mind that? So visit PaddlingExercises.com to get the book and companion DVD. I know someone out there may be thinking, isn't this a podcast about kayaking? Well, it is, primarily, but it's fun to mix it up sometimes. Just like we become better by exploring different craft, paddling the blue gets better, too. So while Steve may not have done this race in a kayak, they're all boats, right? I used to do a lot of adventure racing back in the day, and this is really the kind of thing that really interests me. There's something special about a good sufferfest, and it certainly sounds like a beautiful river, too. Personally, I love the quote, the surest way not to fail is to determine to succeed. And I hope you found that as well as his description of his on-water and off-water training helpful too. Our next guest is Douglas Wilcox. You may be familiar with Douglas' work testing boats and equipment, his writing in magazines over the years, or his photography. Well, he is a storyteller in every sense of the word. So get ready for us to cover a lot of ground. Until next time, thanks again for listening, and I look forward to bringing you the next episode of Paddling the Blue.